Welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast presented by the Nebraska ESU Coordinating Council. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the latest in digital learning across Nebraska and around the country. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back to another episode of the Good Life EDU podcast. And I am so grateful to Ebony McKeever from NDE for joining us today. Uh, we're going to have a fantastic conversation around Black History Month. It's going to be taking place all this month here in February. Uh, and so I'm just really grateful to, to Ebony for joining us. Uh, she's such a terrific leader in the area of social studies. And so we're going to get that history piece here, equity, and just, just an all-around amazing educator. So Ebony, thank you so much for joining us on the pod. Yay! Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be a part of this. Uh, I'm super grateful. We had so much fun talking even before we got on to actually recording this that like, I can't wait. So uh, Ebony, for those that don't know you, can you give us a little bit of your backstory in education? Absolutely. So again, my name is Ebony McKeever. I am the current social studies education specialist with the Nebraska Department of Education. This is, I think, think about my 15th year in education. Um, So I started out in higher ed and decided that I was going to finish up my master's degree and then move into teaching high school. And so I did one year of high school teaching in Cleveland, Ohio. And then I decided to move to Baltimore where I had lived for the majority of my life. And so I spent nine years teaching high school social studies in Baltimore City Public Schools. And so that ran the gamut from I think every possible high school social studies course that you could teach. So, you know, geography, American government, U.S. history, world history, uh, African-American history, and then one terrible semester of economics. And so, you know, I want (laughs) to apologize to all my economic students for that semester. And then we moved to Nebraska. And so I did a year teaching seventh grade social studies, which was world studies. And I also want to apologize to my seventh grade students. Middle school is hard. So God bless the middle school teachers out there. I don't know how they do it year after year, but they do it. And, and now here I am with NDE and very excited to be in this role. So here we are. <laughs> oh, and you're a rock star in it. And so I'm so grateful for your time and for us to have a conversation that, you know, I I'm just going to speak personally and say that I, I feel vulnerable a little bit in having this conversation. Mm-hmm. I come from a, a really small town, about 3,000 people in Southern Illinois, and so pretty low on the diversity scale right. there <laughs> um, and, and in a lot of ways, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so with that being said, you know, I, I like you, this is my 15th year in education, uh, and last year I was in the classroom, and, you know, I had my kind of curriculum that was given to me that I was expected to, to go through, and after, it was my first year teaching this senior English course that was pretty diverse, uh, mm-hmm. and when I got to, like, January, I was like, uh-uh, I, we spent all of the first <laughs> semester kind of with, you know, everything that's in the canon, and mm-hmm. those, I think, would just really appreciate and learn so much from the opportunity to Uh, focus on a little bit more of those marginalized voices. And so that was really something that, again, looking to Black History Month, my heart was like, okay, I feel like this is a place and I should be the only place, but like, let's go ahead and and use some of the great resources that come out during that time to supplement. And we we did, we deviated from what was going on. And uh, I think that it was a really great experience for, for everybody, but kind of a 
like I said, make me a little vulnerable as a teacher um, who is not always comfortable talking on these topics, but has a heart for mm-hmm. talking about these topics. So to anybody listening, thanks for putting up with my ignorance if I show it and, <laughs> if and when I show it on this podcast. But, uh, but really from that place, yeah, Ebony, that's, that's where I hope to, I hope our conversation can kind of bridge some of the gaps between people that might feel a little apprehensive in this space to realizing that like, not only is it okay, but it's essential, right? To like Absolutely. No, no. And I was going to say, I think that even in admitting, you know, that there are some ignorance that you, you have, even I have, I think that's a, a very good thing. I think it shows that there's a willingness to want to grow and be better at the profession and to be able to want to do things that are best for our students and I and you know what what more can we ask for from our educators and our administrators and all the people that are just involved in the education system other than to want to grow and be better so you know I I think that's great that you know you're being so vulnerable and so open about what you don't know and what we can do to change that and so it's a great thing and just even off the top of my head I was thinking as you were talking about the canon And it even makes me think about Black History Month coming up and just marginalized voices, period. And, you know, why do we, I guess my question is, why do we assume that the canon is canon, if that makes sense? So, you you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. what what says that these books are the standard bearer (laughs) that everybody should read? And we know that the canon doesn't include, does it even include any marginalized voices or black authors like most of it are British authors and these books are like I can remember in high school reading the Canterbury Tales and I was like my god why (laughs) like (laughs) make this make sense for me and so I think like even as we move into education now the great thing about moving towards multiculturalism is it provides us with the ability to to be able to give our students things that they can identify with and make connections to in their own lives and they can take those materials directly from the classroom and start applying what they've learned from those instructional materials and those great pieces of literature and those you know big topics in history and really apply them to their lives immediately so I think that's great I don't know I just thought about that as we were (laughs) as I was listening to you talk about you know moving away from the canon and using February as an opportunity to really introduce you know, other voices that aren't being heard in the classroom normally. Yeah. And and like too, kind of, as you shared there from the top is that it comes from having a heart for kids. It comes from realizing that what I am comfortable with or uncomfortable with is, is really irrelevant (laughs) on some level. Mm -hmm. It's kind of my job to make sure that that we're serving them as best we can. Uh, And sometimes that's just going to ask for a little bit of personal growth. And I know that this is starting to become a little bit more prevalent statewide, right? Like, so there's mm-hmm. some like laws. Yep. Yep. It <laughs> is. It is state law. <laughs> yeah, okay. That that, uh, that we start to move into the space. So maybe we can start there. Can you tell us a little bit about that portion of it? Yeah, absolutely. So state statute 79-724 essentially says that schools now are required to implement a multicultural education or they can face loss of accreditation if they don't. And so we're going to make our school districts sort of prove that they are incorporating a multicultural education within the curriculum. 
But, you know, even though it's a, it's a state law, I think it's a step in the right direction. And so it's a step in the right direction because now we're talking about the full integration of multicultural studies and multicultural voices into the social studies curriculum. And we're talking about February being Black History Month, but I also think it's important as that we start moving away from focusing on marginalized voices just in February and Black voices just in February, but we really start moving towards the full integration of Black voices and Native American voices and Hispanic voices and gay voices and all these different populations during the course of the school year. And so one of the examples that I always like to talk about when we, you know, talk about how to integrate multiculturalism into our school curriculum, and especially in social studies, is, for instance, World War II, right? So I'm sure everybody, when they were in high school, even now, when we talk about World War II, we talk about, okay, here's, you know, the war effort, here's Hitler doing all these bad things, here's America's response, here's who fought, you know, with the Americans against Nazism. But then we say, okay, as an aside to talking about World War II, let's talk about what women did. And then we say, okay, as an aside to talking about World War II and the role of women, we'll now talk about the role of African Americans in World War II. Well, we shouldn't be doing that. Like, as we talk about World War II, there should already be a seamless integration to say, like, in the war effort on the American side, we had Americans participating in these activities and they happen to be not only, you know, white males, but they happen to be women. They happen to be African-American men. But then what happened when the war was over and there, you know, were now African-American men and women who are working these factory jobs and what happened to the women after, but it should just be one conversation. And so I think that's what we need to start moving towards as we talk about what integration in social studies looks like when we're talking about all the other voices aside from the Eurocentric voices that we always talk about in in these topics. Yeah, and the recent shift in the social studies standards makes space for that to happen, right? You're more versed in that than I am. You want to speak to to that? (laughs) We did a podcast earlier. I'll say this with Lori Brody, and she did a beautiful job of laying out each of those, and we, we did a deep dive. So if you want a 30-minute conversation on it, that's there. But just as kind of a broad strokes, talking to some of those, uh, I think would be really helpful so we can start to see where um, mm-hmm. everything you just shared actually aligns with our standards. Yes. So earlier on, if you were look at the standards before 2019, and this is very just quick, a brief, um, yeah, but before yeah. 2019, the standards were very much like if, you know, our listeners are familiar with Bloom's taxonomy verbs, you know, those standards were pretty much like identify, you know, describe they were at the lower level of what we wanted our students to be able to do. Well, I am such a big fan of like C3 framework and inquiry based learning because we really get our students to like investigate and evaluate and create and develop and do all of these things. And so they're able to do that um, through the new standards. And with those shift in standards, now we can start really implementing inquiry-based learning, which allows our students to investigate really topics in depth and to be able to present that to an audience at the end of it. And so it gives space for our students to really be able to look at things that they are interested in as well. And so 
And again, if we're looking at World War II, you know, it doesn't have to be just like a timeline of chronological events, like it started here and then ended up here. They're able to say, well, let me look at how weapons influenced, you know, World War II or changed with World War II. Let me look at the role of women or let me look at the role of African-Americans or let me look at whatever I want to be able to look at if we start here and end up here. And so I think that's a great shift in the standards. And I'm really looking forward, especially this spring, this coming spring and summer with working with a group of educators across the state to really be able to start making sure we're implementing aspects of C3 framework in our lessons every day. And I'm not, and let me also be clear, like, I don't want every lesson to be inquiry lesson. um, Mm -hmm. But I think that every lesson should be able to utilize some aspect of it. And so for me, the goal as you know, the social studies education specialist is when I want when students leave high school to be able to contextualize and have media literacy skills and be able to understand multiple perspectives and contextual, I did, I already said contextualization, but (laughs) Um, But to be able to leave high school with all of these skills, because I think as we circle it back around to the conversation with marginalized voices in Black history, it will help our students be able to understand, one, how to have conversations when, you know, there is something that they don't understand, and to be able to understand if what they're hearing makes sense, doesn't make sense, if it's true, if it's not true, and then three, be able to utilize it and implement it in their own own lives going forward. And I think, you know, I'll go back to something else that you said previously is like, this idea of being aware of who we are, right? And understanding our own implicit biases. And if we are able to provide our students with really those meaningful skills of multiple perspectives and evaluation and sourcing and everything else, then once we have a realistic look at who we are, they'll be able to seek out and find that information for themselves and then be able to make those changes that we want our students to be able to make, so. Oh, yeah. All of that. My conversation (laughs) with Lori earlier uh, in the or uh, my conversation earlier in 2020 with Lori uh, has continued to just sort of quietly tap me on the shoulder in the midst of recent events with everything from fake news to Mm -hmm. our general divisiveness, not even to get political about it like that that Mm -hmm. real thing right now. And it takes the willingness to have open and honest conversations and to dig deep and, and research past the thing that came up on your feed in the 10 mm-hmm. seconds. <laughs> and, and I'd love to see that uh, education is, is always, has always been great at this, but it's just so awesome to see the standards flex to try to address societally some of our most prevalent needs. Uh, and that just really fills me up. I don't know what yeah. to say. I think about it a lot. I really do. And I think the standards are great for that reason, because the standards are less about specific topics, right? Now, I think that there are some things just inherently that happen in history that students just should know. But I think it's great that our standards are moving away from specific topics because it does allow teachers to be able to talk about, you know, current events. It does allow for conversation and discussion, you know, in the last year, can I... I miss being a social studies teacher this year because the last year has just been so rife with so many things that 
are excellent opportunities to be able to have discussions and build strong citizens who are going to eventually leave our four walls and go out and be out in the world. But if we look to last summer and the protest around the George Floyd killing, if we talk about the Capitol insurrection, if we even just talk about the presidency of Trump, it, you're right, it doesn't have to be political in a sense, but it still allows for us to say like, let's talk about it. Where is the commonality? Where are we divided? And why are we divided on that issue? And we don't, and I think it's important too, like, we, we don't have to agree. But we can just say, like, I understand now. And so going back to those social studies skills, I think all of this now and our standards allow for students and adults to say, like, I don't necessarily agree, but I do understand. And understanding goes so far <laughs> and does so much for us just as humans and the ability to be able to connect and communicate with each other. And so, you know, I'm no longer looking at you as like the enemy. I'm just looking at you as my friend who we just happen to di disagree with. <laughs> uh and in those spaces where you're having these teachable moments, right, as a result of, of the current climate uh, or, or not, you know, even if we're looking at things like you're saying mm -hmm. in World War II, the more I think that we can model that civil discourse and not only that we're entering into that mm -hmm. space, but and I'll, I'll kind of say two things with this. One, how to have that conversation, but then two, how to not alienate someone when their ignorance creeps up and shares something maybe in a way that that doesn't sit well with other mm -hmm. folks to, to go let me help me understand <laughs> why you said that why you think that why you think that language mm -hmm. is okay why you think you know, and, and those kind of things i think the opportunity is so powerful because i'm not sure where else we're going to start to get that mm -hmm. from, from uh, the classroom yeah, no, it, I think it all starts in the classroom. And I think that you also said something that's so important is like when those teachable opportunities happen for that civil discourse and for us to be able to say like, okay, this is how I feel about it. And let me explain to you, which is why, again, I think like history and social studies is probably the greatest subject ever, but it allows me to say like, okay, here's some historical evidence as to why this situation is the way that it is now. And now let's talk about where do we go from here? Uh, I, I don't know. I just... You're right. <laughs> well, the, the, the ability to be able just to have those conversations, I think is just so powerful. And as we shared before, even we started recording, like I am not the authority on everything. And so like, even from, there's so much that I can learn from you as someone who grew up in a rural community, very small community. And I'm sure, you know, everybody knew everybody. Yep. That's not my reality. And so I need to lean on you, even in this new role, because um, I've only been in this position for seven months, but to be able to lean on you and say, hey, what are some things that I need to understand about the rural community if I'm going to reach out and if we're going to be talking about what, it, what education looks like and what social studies looks like in, you know, environments that I'm not familiar with. So I think realizing where we fall short and 
being okay to admit that we fall short in those areas and being open to having those conversations and knowing that in having those conversations, I'm not going to be chastised or made fun of, or, you know, berated or any of those things for wanting to understand more and grow. And, you know, isn't, we're back to that thing of doing what's best for children, right? Growth is what's best for students. And so why wouldn't we want to do that? Absolutely. And as an English teacher, you know, I I had to kind of get ready to step into that space because I am small town, because I am rural community, Mm -hmm. middle class, white male. And and I was sharing this earlier, too, that in approaching that and and we brought in marginalized voices, it wasn't just, you know, based upon like uh, ethnicity. You know, we brought in a lot Mm -hmm. uh, of different voices into this. But I did you know, personally reached out to a couple educator friends of mine who I, I asked to please graciously like help me understand, like, like, first of all, give me some recommendations on texts. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then what is it that I should be sort of sensitive to in that that might resonate? Uh, and I even, for even one portion of what we were doing, I, I re- reached out to J.A. Adande from ESPN. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, I'm a big Around the Horn fan, so yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he wrote me back. J.A. Adande's throwing some like resources our way. And so I just, I love it. It was such a learning opportunity for me. And you know what? The kids, if I, if you think I loved it, the kids went crazy with all that. Uh, and, and so I was like, J.A. Donde picked out your text for today. They're like, what are you talking about? Uh, so that was super fun. And so, so I guess um, in addition to that, I felt it was necessary for me to stand at the front of the classroom and, and to be vulnerable mm-hmm. uh, and to take a moment and to say, this is where I come from. I understand that we all come from very different places and everything that we've said here so far had to be said out loud and acknowledged so that that safe space and the boundaries, um, the walls that we put up could go down, but that boundaries could be put in place for when there were things that maybe went a little, uh, again, just people sharing their ignorance that it steps into spaces where there's an opportunity mm-hmm. for conflict, where we want to like, let that be a place that we, we instead try to seek understanding, as you said, not necessarily to ever like be empathetic with that other side, if it's like an affront to some things that we just are or truly believe are, you know, are, are maybe wrong, but but yeah, I, I think that, that it's imperative that the educator do the best they can to make that space safe and it's part of your classroom culture if it's going to take off. And so this has to be a part of whether it's social studies or English mm-hmm. or wherever, right? This is math, part of, science, part of like it is. Part of the work. Yeah, it is. And I will also say too, like, I am encouraged by teachers who stand in front of diverse classrooms to begin having these conversations, but I am also extremely inspired by teachers who stand in front of non-diverse classrooms and are ready to have these conversations about, you know, marginalized voices and populations and, and, and how to integrate that. And I will say it as a Black woman who taught a classroom that was 99% African American, it was very easy for me me to talk about Black studies and even all things Black because it was easier because I was in front of a classroom of people who looked and talked just like I did. And so 
you know, I needed to step out and say like, wait a minute, I need to make sure that I am telling the whole story. And then I'm making sure that I integrate social studies and history topics that aren't necessarily what what we would like to talk about in that classroom. And so I think it's the same thing. I think if it's, you know, a white teacher standing in front of a white classroom, I think it is really important then for that teacher to be able to present the whole story as well. And not just what feels comfortable in that time and the moment. Um, because I will say like, things won't change in education or anything else if the majority isn't the voices that are willing to have that conversation and push things forward. And so I, I think it just needs to be something that we get past our feelings of being uncomfortable and, you know, push that in all classrooms. I appreciate you having this conversation because I do understand that the work is, as we've said on repeat here, a little bit uncomfortable. Um, and and I, I love that our conversation, I feel like, has at least started to bridge um, the thinking between maybe the, eh, I'm going to stay in my silo and not say anything because mm-hmm. I don't want to say the wrong thing, so I just won't address it at all. <laughs> right. <laughs> but but trying to, to kind of move into that space. Yes, because there are rules out there now encouraging this, but at the heart of it, you know, our, our students need this mm-hmm. for all the things that we're seeing societally, just to kind of put a bow on everything up to this point, I think. And... <laughs> Oh, I was going to say, and also there are resources, you know, so yeah. even even if you're in small town rural community and you don't want to say the wrong thing because you're afraid of offending someone or you're afraid of not being sure, you know, how to even operate in that space, there are resources. And I will start off by saying, you know, Nebraska educators are more than welcome to check out the NDE social studies page because there are resources for anti racism and also social and emotional learning, which I think is great because it talks about how to build relationships with your students. And in building relationships with your students, you understand where you can meet their educational needs. And so, yeah. (laughs) Gosh, that's so funny that like the way that you're kind of framing that there, because that actually was my experience last year, was that we, again, with the prescribed curriculum in the unit before we got into our unit with our marginalized voices, we were doing an SEL unit. And what came out of that was not only an improved classroom culture, uh, but also a sensitivity on my part as an educator to realizing that we needed to make space uh, for these other conversations to happen. And so I, that's terrific that, you know, that there's resources there uh, for both of those, because I do see those going hand in hand. Yeah, they go hand in hand. And the other part about it is, you know, there are so many studies that suggest that all students, but even like white students perform better on standardized tests when they receive an education that really encompasses all marginalized voices and just everyone, period. And so like we create better students performance-wise when we talk about a multicultural education. But not only that, we produce students who are ready for the world, right? Because while you may spend the majority of your life in small town or an urban area or whatever, we're hoping that we create world citizens, right? So you should be able to go and travel the world and understand different cultures and ethnicity and food and music, like all of that. And so if we want to be able to prepare students who are going to be citizens of the world, then it's really important too that we make sure that they receive this multicultural education. 
Absolutely. And there's so many avenues with the digital mm-hmm. age that we live in for us to interact with, experience, yeah, these parts of, of the world that we maybe wouldn't otherwise in previous mm-hmm. generations not have uh, been able to, to get to know. Uh, and and so that's uh that's terrific and every single podcast that i record there comes a point where i say 30 minutes goes really fast and (laughs) i was gonna say really that's been 30 minutes (laughs) it has it It feels like it's been like 15 minutes and there's still so much that we can you know talk about and (laughs) yeah well you know every ever have to have you back on then we're gonna have to absolutely no time like delve back into this uh again in the future and i would really i'd be grateful for that that and having covered everything that we have up to this point in time, I guess, if you had a, a parting message, because I like to leave just a little space at the end of these conversations for people to share either what's on your heart right now, uh, you know, at the forefront of maybe your thoughts, efforts, or just kind of something general um, for folks, but uh, just giving you a little space to share kind of a, a final idea for us here. I guess my final idea is So as we talk about making social studies more integrated with multiculturalism throughout the whole year, I understand that we're not there 100% yet. And so what I will ask is during the month of February, as we start talking about Black History Month and bringing in figures and events, I want our educators to move away from like focusing on lessons around, you know, the Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks and, you know, the, the Montgomery bus boycott and those really big things that educators tend to talk about year after year. I really want this to be a month where we start focusing on those who throughout history have had a big voice, but that voice has, you know, decreased as time goes on. So, you know, some of the names I mentioned to you earlier, Earlier, like the Fannie Lou Hamers and the Asa Philip Randolphs and the Bayard Rustins and their contribution. And we were even talking about, let's talk about the role of slaves and slavery in the United States and how really that is a big foundational element of how society was built. And let's not be afraid to have that conversation. And so I would ask that this month, let's talk about those voices and let's make sure that we include a wide array of people who have contributed just to the American experience period. And Ebony, I so love that because it is not just the national voices that are doing this work. It's the each and every day person like yourself, like us, like our students um, that need to be recognized as being responsible and also a part of this, this work. Yes, yes. And one more thing. I don't know if I'm supposed to give like shout outs or anything. Um, But (laughs) so if anybody's on Instagram, I'm also a big believer in local voices. And so there is an Instagram page called North Omaha History. And while it focuses on mainly on Omaha, they really talk about like a lot of African Americans who contributed to Nebraska. And so that has been a great resource for me in understanding the local context contributions of African-Americans in history in Omaha and Nebraska. And so, you know, if we're looking, I think it's really important that we use local issues to teach bigger themes in social studies. And so I think that's a great starting point if we want to talk about African-American history in the month of February. So... (laughs) and do a plug for that one more time which instagram account is this yes the instagram account is called north omaha history just one word but they talk again a lot about the contributions of black people in omaha nebraska and so 
a shout out for a local resource, I think. <laughs> terrific, terrific. Oh, well, Ebony, I know we're leaving content on the table here, so we're yes. going to have to again soon. <laughs> uh, but I do really appreciate your time, uh, your advocacy, and yeah, just being willing to, to have just a really open, honest conversation here today that I hope others had a, the opportunity to kind of step into and think through. I've learned from it. So thanks for joining us on the podcast. I have too. Thank you for having me. <laughs>